We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 256. Our guest today is a USDF gold, silver, and bronze medalist. She's a judge and a trainer based out of Wellington, Florida. She has two horses that she is bringing through the levels, and she's really committed to developing horses through the ranks and truly paying attention to how they're coming along and not rushing the process. She has big aspirations, and she has already accomplished so much. She also is from Hawaii, which is, you know, my dream place. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Lehua Custer. Hello, hello. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm quite good and nice and toasty down here in Florida. Oh yeah, I know the feeling. I was just up north um, in Michigan and I'm like, man, I love these like cooler mornings and gets a little, it gets just warm enough in the afternoon and then I come back to Florida and it's like, 90 degrees by 10 a.m. Like, oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, ideal riding weather in the summer, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. At least it makes you proactive in the in the summer months to like get all of your outside work done as early as possible in an ideal world. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) No kidding. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I would love to hear about how you got to where you are today. But first, tell me a little bit how you first got started in the equestrian world? Yeah, I, I grew up in Hawaii, hence the, the name. And um, I was a really shy child, very, an only child, very indoorsy, loved to read books and not very athletic, not very active. And my mom is like a tennis player and a runner and a surfer and very athletic. And she had always had a passion for horses and didn't have the finances. And so when um, I kind of got a little older and she thought I needed to be in some kind of activity that was not just reading books and outside a little more, she got me into riding and I was terrified. You know, I grew up uh, on Maui. It's a huge mountain. I was on the side of a cliff. I thought it was like very dangerous to be riding in an arena with a cliff next to me and mm. not an adventurous child and just have this like vivid memory of imagining I was just going to fall off the horse and tumble all the way down <laughs> to the bottom of the mountain which obviously wouldn't have happened but my little like nine-year-old mind had that you know <laughs> and then vision and so she kind of pushed me into riding just to be a little more confident just to be a little more kind of better hand-eye coordination and a little more outdoorsy type person and I was resistant at the beginning I Mm. thought it was crazy I didn't want to be dirty I didn't want to be outside I was just like such a little prissy child and it completely changed I just it worked I became a rug rat and running around in the mud and very confident very outgoing rode all kinds of wild horses and just totally came out of my shell and And I thank my mom for that every day because I would not have picked it. I love animals, but I just wouldn't have been brave enough. 
And so I just grew up riding my horse, like running him around bareback at the beach and Mm. through pineapple fields and just kind of having a wild childhood. And then I connected up with a fantastic horse trainer. I had a few in a row actually on Maui that were just real horsewomen. And Carol Adams was my very first trainer and she was an amazing role model. She had a passion for horses, a passion for people. She would adopt um, severely disabled children and raise them. And eventually after she left Maui, she's now living in Uganda and runs an orphanage there. And she's just somebody that I always will look up to and hope I can just be a tiny bit as good as her. Um, And she's just incredible. So I was blessed to have these kinds of role models from the beginning. And Carol was my first and I've had many along the way. I, I, left high school, uh, finished on Maui. I moved to the mainland. We call it the mainland and <laughs> went to California and, uh, graduated from college and with a degree in psychology and decided to get back into riding and got connected up with Hilda Gurney. Mm. And so she became my next mentor. And just, so I feel so lucky that I've had these amazing people that have taken the time to teach me to be a better horsewoman and really a a better person and so I spent 10 years as her assistant trainer and it was just absolutely life-changing and taught me that I could become a horse trainer I wasn't gonna go down that path yeah I I was gonna ask you that that. I was gonna be a psychologist yeah Yeah. (laughs) because you took a break my my job I did Yeah, yeah I did I left I left Hawaii and I was 17 and moved to Los Angeles and it was a culture shock Mm. I didn't even own closed-toed shoes or like a jacket. I just didn't. In Hawaii, we don't have that stuff. So <laughs> it wow. was a big change to end up in LA. And I, I just loved the college experience. I had a great time. I'm thrilled that I did it. Uh, I never got to do things like Young Riders or anything like that. It just wasn't really a, a thing. We were we had an ocean between us and the rest of the riders. So we really couldn't participate in those activities when I was a kid. And then I kind of aged out and thought, I'll get back into horses. And Hilda gave me a chance. She gave me an opportunity. I I didn't have a horse of my own. I didn't have, you know, big money behind what I was interested in doing, pursuing riding. And and she allowed me to work for it and and gave me opportunities. And so I'm eternally grateful for her as well. And she's taught me kind of every angle, like understanding bloodlines, understanding how to train a horse up that's not ideal for dressage necessarily, like different breeds, how to help students to realize their goals, understand the perspective of judging. So I I felt like I've been getting a really kind of well-rounded education over these years to become the rider I am today. And it's a lot of that's from Hilda, a huge amount actually. What initially drew you? A bit the winding road. Yeah, yeah, I love it. But what what initially drew you to dressage? What made you kind of pick dressage over any other discipline? So growing up, we didn't like pick a discipline. We just did it all. Like you had your horse and, you know, on Monday you jumped it and on Tuesday you did Western and, you know, whatever we would just do everything and and flatting and dressage kind of were just part of the program. Uh, Carol really had us do everything and so it was just kind of something I understood as as training for the horse and that's what I understood it as from a little girl and I kind of stuck with doing you know all things 
related to riding until I left for college and didn't ride at all. And then when I got back into it, I tried a couple of, you know, months of jumping lessons and it was really fun, but I didn't have, I couldn't get my own horse and it, you can't get too far um, when you're on a lesson horse in a jumping mm-hmm. program. And, and so actually when I graduated from college, my mom and I drove down to Del Mar National Horse Show and there was a huge competition going on and a freestyle event and I saw Grand Prix freestyles for the first time in person and that was it I said this is amazing like this is something that it looks beautiful and if you work really hard and if you really start to understand the sport you can in my mind I felt like I could succeed even if I didn't have a a horse that had been purchased for a lot of money and and that's not entirely true but that was the perspective I had at the time and I felt like I had hope to to become a better rider and and kind of get further in the sport in dressage versus jumping and jumping can get scary too Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) a little dangerous sometimes so I had (laughs) a little injury where I came off a horse and and had a very small fracture in my leg and I was jumping and it kind of helped me realize, well, maybe that's, maybe that's dangerous. Maybe I have to stick with dressage. So mm-hmm. that all kind of happened when I was meeting Hilda and she, she gave me opportunities to ride when I didn't have my own horse. So I just kind of glommed onto her and, and yeah. was very interested in being part of her program. And so the timing was perfect, basically. Obviously a big component to that, as we all know about the, um, financial resources needed to get to a certain level of the sport, which was something you did not have a ton of in your childhood and early professional career. So how did you kind of find or create opportunities for yourself without maybe having the access to these financial re- resources personally? A lot of hours at the barn. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just would work every hour I could any any moment of daylight every single day of the week I would be there I'd work you know a normal a normal work week would be 12 hours minimum per day Mm -hmm. and six six and a half days a week so it was just putting the putting the work in doing any job that I could to make any little amount of money and proving to you know maybe new potential clients that I was devoted and would work hard and would train their horse to a higher level and make the horse potentially more valuable at the same time or more rideable for the, the owner and, and trying to attract clientele that way. And, and so just kind of <laughs> just putting the grunt work in, I guess is the only way to say it and, and being willing to keep showing up, even if it was, you know, disheartening or, or exhausting, or, you know, you'd have a horse that would get injured or sick or pass away and you have to show up the next day and still put the work in and, that was something that was really hard emotionally for me in my early twenties to realize like how devastating it could be to be in this sport. You know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're just one injury away from your dream, your particular dream being crushed or, you know, one colic away. And, and that's disheartening. And I've learned to handle it emotionally a little bit better and also to arm myself a little with protecting, trying to protect the horses as much as possible and, and keep them healthier and safer as much as I can as I gain more knowledge. So it's basically just figuring out how to work hard, how to, for instance, I couldn't afford to buy fancy horses. And so I buy babies. And Mm -hmm. so uh, almost every horse I've owned 
or trained up, I've either been in contact with as Hilda bred it and I trained it up or we purchased them. Clients have purchased them or I've purchased them as babies and, and foals and trained them up. So like currently my, my stallion that I have that's six years old, I bought him when he was, I technically bought him when he was 30 days old, but I found him mm. on the internet when he was just born and he had just, just come out. The breeder had just posted a photo of him. He hadn't even stood up yet. And I just became obsessed for some crazy reason. I decided that I had to have this horse. And is this tuna? You know, horse trainers. This is tuna. Yeah. I was going to say, I heard. We don't have money. (laughs) Yeah. I heard you found him on Facebook. Like what give, (laughs) I need the whole story. (laughs) I did. I did. I had been searching for years to find a new horse for myself. I had a horse named Fish that Hilda had given me because Hilda's amazing and will give opportunities to people. She really will. She knew that I couldn't buy a horse of my own at the time. And she, she gave him to me at, at the two-year-old and I trained him up to Grand Prix with her help and decided, okay, this is, it's time to find the next one. And it took me two years. I looked online. I went to a bunch of different breeders in, in the area and just didn't quite find the right horse. And for some reason, when I saw that picture of Tuna, I said, this is the one. And I didn't have the finances for him. He was, you know, a reasonable price for, for what he was, but I, not, not cheap, you know. I mean, their warm bloods cost a lot, no matter what age. And I was going around my barn for like a week just talking about this baby. And finally, one of my clients just walked up to me and she said, how much is he? how much does he cost? And I told her the amount and she said, I, I'm going to loan you this money. I know you'll pay me back. I'm going to loan you this money. So you stop talking about it. And she did. And I did. And we're still very, very close um, friends. And I paid her back. And so I got Tuna and now he's six and he's currently, we're hoping that he will be on the list to go to Denmark for the para worlds um, wow. in August. So Everyone cross your fingers. Mm-hmm. We don't know if he's going to make it, but we're, we're hoping. So his uh, current rider, I'm his main current rider, but Roxy Trinnell, who's one of our very top um, pair riders in this country and one of the top yeah. in the world. She was um, Tokyo gold medalist. She's just amazing, amazing rider. She wanted to try riding him. He's only six and he's never done para and he's a breeding stallion and he just has a great character. So she's, she's been riding him beautifully. And yeah, so that's where we're at right now. So it's a little bit that the dreams can kind of, they don't always come true, but, but finding a way to get myself with, you know, connected up with wonderful horses, even if I don't have the big money to pay for them is, is kind of my route <laughs> so far. Um, and a little bit with the Grand Prix horse that I ride right now, it's a, a bit the same story. The owner bought him as a yearling. She had never owned a warm blood. She had had thoroughbreds. She had an Irish sport horse. And she came to me and said, I, I want a warm blood. And I said, well, what's your budget? And she said, well, I don't know, like under 10,000. And I said, oh, we're not, like, we're not going to find it. <laughs> we might not find anything. And she said, well, I'll buy a baby. And I said, okay. So we found him. He was a yearling. And he was really cute. He didn't seem to me like he was going to be like a superstar. He was just hopefully going to be a nice, safe horse for her. And we got him and trained him up. And now he's showing internationally at Grand Prix and wow. just a fantastic horse. 
So you just never know. And the owner has been amazing to let me ride him and train him all these years. I mean, that's also a very special thing because it's her horse, you know, and she, she doesn't have another horse to ride now because she said, well, take him on, see how far you can go. That can be, that can become my new dream. She said, and I mean, what an amazing owner to, to put her current goals aside for what the horse can achieve, you know, Mm -hmm. not everybody does that. So I just, she's an amazing person. (laughs) That's all I can say about that. Yeah. Just absolutely amazing. So that's a little my journey to, to getting to become the trainer I am now. This was all in California. I lived there for many years. I just, I moved there in 1997, started my business there in 2001 and just left in 2018 at the very end of 2018 to move to Florida and I was supposed to only be here for a month uh, to do a bit of intensive training with the now Grand Prix horse he wasn't quite Grand Prix yet and I wanted to see you know if I could if I could really focus on an intense month of training could I get him really where he needed to be and I never left (laughs) so that's how that went I've stayed in Florida but I was extremely lucky yet again I, I came here hoping that I could just get this month of training in. And while I was here, I got the um, notification from the Dressage Foundation that I had been awarded a high performance training grant. And that $25,000 to me was life changing. It, it allowed me to stay and it allowed me to train intensely with my coach where at home I was having a lesson once a week or every other week and running my business the rest of the time. I had a wonderful, fantastic business with fantastic clients, but they needed my time, right. uh, of course. And so that was, again, still 12-hour days. <laughs> I was still mm-hmm. putting in those 12-hour days. And it just wouldn't have worked for my own personal goals with Ramsey's to continue in that kind of program. And so when I came to Florida, when I came to Wellington, I said, I'm just going to take the sleep. I'm, you know, I had saved a lot of money and gotten some support and help from my family to help get us here. And then this grant was awarded and it just changed everything. And then I got it the following year, I got it again. And so getting that grant two years in a row, it helped me build a business in Florida and Mm. helped me find a way to stay here. So now I have a fantastic business down here and and wonderful clients and horses and kind of starting over when I've been in one area for 20 years was really hard Um, but the people here are fantastic I've made just the most amazing friends and and realized the community here is just just as robust as I imagined it would be so it's been fun it's been unexpected I dreamed that I could be training and competing in Florida I just didn't know how to get there so it's been yeah. fun. <laughs> I feel like Wellington has that effect on horse people. It just kind of sucks you in because it's like a Disneyland for yeah. equestrians. <laughs> yeah, nobody looks at me funny when I go to the restaurant and my breeches after yep. a show or yep. the grocery store. And I know that no one notices if I smell like horses because we all do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> yep. I have to say. Mm-hmm. And a Saturday night going to watch the jumpers and it's everybody's there, you know, you see everybody, you know, and everyone's just kind of there together. I mean, I'll see certain groups of people for one restaurant for dinner on Tuesday and I go to the next restaurant on Wednesday and I see that same group of people there mm-hmm. and we're just kind of all hanging out, you know, it's, it's very special. It's been, Definitely. It's been unexpectedly a lot more um, 
pleasant than I thought. I just I didn't know how it would be to start over. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. sure now looking back, I'm, I'm sure you're so happy you made that leap of faith. There is a shift happening in sports. From the Olympic to the club level, we can no longer feign ignorance about the prevalence of sexual abuse. We Ride Together is a movement developed to eliminate sexual misconduct in horse sport and beyond. Created by Carrie Caring, who came on the podcast a few months back, but she is the mother of amateur equestrian and sexual assault survivor Maggie Caring. We Ride Together is committed to inspiring radical change by inspiring much-needed education and awareness. We Ride Together dot today is a safe place for survivors to find resources and use their own voices to share stories that have power. To learn more about getting involved, supporting survivors, or telling your own story, visit weridetogether.today and find weridetogether.today on Facebook and Instagram. But besides training, you're also um, a judge. Why? What made you decide to pursue your judging qualification? And how do you feel like it's impacted yes. or influenced your training and riding? So- it's been, yeah, that's a good and, and also kind of sad at the same time. So mm-hmm. I did the L program as they were chained. This has been a big, long evolution of the, of the judges training programs. The original L program was all in one part and halfway through me being in the program, they actually changed it to a two part program. And okay. so I had to start all over and do it again. So I got mm-hmm. this like really like great education for the, the L program having to go through it basically twice um, just because it was changing. And I graduated with distinction and moved on to the small R program. And then very unfortunately, as I was in that program, we had that economic downturn at the late um, 2000s. And I suddenly could not figure out how to get enough. You have to do these um, judging these tests live at horse shows and you know, second was not very well attended anyway. And then all of a sudden no one was showing. And so I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of these hours, enough of these tests done to finish my smaller program. So very unfortunately I went through the whole program and I didn't do those tests and I should have then taken the time after things had become more robust again. And I, I just didn't. And so sadly I don't have my small R but I did all of the education and all of the training um, leading up to it. And I can do it all again, which I probably will. But basically I judge schooling shows um, and, and things like that with my small R or with my L um, distinction. And I loved going through the program because sitting at sea is completely different from a trainer's perspective, right? Sitting at sea in the judge's Mm -hmm. box with very specific guidelines for every level, for every movement, for how to um, make adjustments and scores based on a, you know, really special movement or a problem, and how, (laughs) how the judges are trained to come to these scores, and being able to then teach my students and use that education for myself as well, to help these riders and these horses be good, you know, test riders, Mm -hmm. I would say, or, or competition horses, because there are certain things that the judge at sea can't see, or they're not going to be as focused on that we can use in the show ring as like a training moment, you know, of, of how to ride 
certain movements to really show off for the judge to be able to give us those points we feel like we deserve or how to hide a weakness as much as possible or how to understand where a movement is scored from beginning to end. So when, when like a trainer will say, keep a problem in that box, like what that means, like if they state in a test, a certain movement, and then there's nothing else stated about that movement until now, let's say you've done a 20 meter circle at B and then the next thing is stated, you know, trot at C or something. So where is if there's a problem between where that circle ends and where that transition at C, which box would that be put in from the, you know, would the judge do that? The rider doesn't think about that necessarily. Well, knowing, knowing that a movement isn't over until that next box states that letter, everything else before that, that 20 meter circle at B, everything from the end of that circle all the way to C is still in that same box with that circle. And so little things like that, explaining that to a student so they don't waste points or lose points has been very valuable. So we're maximizing what we do in the show ring, basically. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Kind of given your broad experience, is there anything that you wish would change or something that you wish you could tweak about the dressage discipline? Yeah, I really feel like in this country, we need to focus more on educating our, our trainers, educating Mm -hmm. our educators. So exactly like thinking about the judges program or, you know, doing a TD program, instructor certification program, attending uh, as many conferences as possible to really understand what it means to succeed in the sport, what's going on in our community um, as a whole and maybe joining our local, you know, organization, being a board member and understanding what's going on behind the scenes from that perspective, volunteering at horse shows to understand how they're run, just, just as riders and trainers having more education and, and creating kind of a healthier environment for our students too, where we are really creating real horsemen. And so I don't really know how we would do that other than any trainer that's up and coming to take it upon themselves to use the resources we currently have through USDF educational opportunities and Mm -hmm. uh, conferences that are happening and symposiums. So, I mean, ideally it would be really nice to have programs similar to other parts of the world where it's almost like college, you know, college courses for the, for up and coming trainers and riders and, I know there's always things in the works and people hoping we could do that, but creating that interest for future trainers or up and coming trainers that they think more about that side of things and Mm -hmm. also having a education in business, you know, thinking about, okay, having a college degree, a business degree is hugely helpful because horse trainers are notoriously not business people. We're out there in the arena riding. So thinking about the accounting side of it and the, you know, all of that kind of other parts of running a business other than just showing up and, you know, putting the time in, in the arena. So that's kind of my, my passion is, Mm -hmm. is continued education. And so I've tried to do that myself. I've done instructor certifications. I've done a lot of um, attending a lot of conferences and symposiums and trying to ride in as many of them as possible, doing the judges program and just trying to educate myself as much as possible. So I'm, backing up what I say a bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's so smart. And um, a lot of times, I mean, like you were saying, we're so busy in the ring, riding or teaching or, you know, going to shows and that sort of thing that 
the last thing we want to do is like sit at a computer and, you know, try to like learn more or study for something or certification. But in the grand scheme of things, it's so important. And, you know, that feeling when you are able to talk to your clients with confidence on a topic um, and just being able to grow that kind of repertoire of knowledge um, as trainers and especially young and up and coming trainers to have that confidence and people skills and business skills to be able to do the best as a professional in this industry, I think is so important. And um, something that I think um, more and more people are starting to understand the importance of. Um, I know there's always talk about incorporating more um, mandatory certifications for trainers and um, that sort of thing. But um, I guess continuing to have conversations about that so that professionals in uh, throughout our industry do have some sort of continuing education to be able to have that knowledge and have that confidence to communicate with everyone else. Yeah, that's very, very well stated. And I think helps everybody, you know, thinking about if we want our sport to stay alive and to mm -hmm. grow, we have to think about it growing from all sides, having the support from sponsors, having wonderful clientele and having knowledgeable trainers. It's, it comes from all sides. It can die very easily. It's mm -hmm. an older sport if you think about it. And I, I don't want it to go anywhere. I want us to progress <laughs> and become better and, and really cherish the sport my whole life. So that's definitely my passion. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good one. And I think it's one that a lot of people share. And yeah, like I was saying before, I think if we continue to communicate about it and, um, you know, discuss possible solutions that um, you're right, that's definitely the future of our sport and um, to keep it alive and well, I think a big part of that is, is that overall education. So I appreciate you bringing it up. And um, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I loved having you on and hearing a little bit about your story. Um, my husband and I met in Hawaii. So Hawaii is near and Yay! dear to my heart. I was like, why would you Love ever it. leave? But I, I hear about <laughs> the like island fever and, and that sort of thing. It's I've also very I've heard pros limited. and cons about the equestrian world on like on Maui or on, you know, the other Hawaiian islands about how it can be um, challenging, especially if you are wanting to, um, you know, go higher up um, in the rankings. It's very isolated. So yeah. a little tiny mini story before we say goodbye. Yeah. Um, so my horses, obviously, I lived on Maui. And if we wanted to leave the island, I actually did have a horse come to the mainland with me at one point. And he had to go on a barge overnight between no islands because we didn't have a runway or we don't have a runway that's long enough for the big cargo planes. And right. so he had to go on a barge and then he had to be forklifted onto a FedEx plane, wow. fly to Los Angeles. And then I had to take my little horse trailer <laughs> to some little side street on the side of the tarmac. He got forklifted down off of this huge, you know, lift and just led across the street into my trailer and there was a lot of hope like don't go crazy buddy uh, just right next to the runway so it was a bit wild to to see that process and it's very inconvenient so we're not just flying all over the place to go to <laughs> horse shows so yeah it's very yeah. isolated unless you bring people to the island to educate you or to mm. create events you're just isolated and yeah. it's tough but funny enough my current 
coach is also from Hawaii, um, Allison Brock, and she was from Oahu and I was from Maui and we did not know each other growing up, even though they were the same age. That's how isolated each island was. So yeah, we had our own tiny little, you know, micro worlds there and didn't get to have a lot of crossover. Mm -hmm. So it's not like just, you know, down here in Ocala or in Wellington, we could just drive to Ocala for a horse show and be no big deal or you know, recently we drove to try on and, and it's just miraculous in my mind that I get to do that because on <laughs> Maui, that would not, I mean, you're yeah. just there, you're just on Maui. You're stuck. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's very different. And I really appreciate having that freedom to mm-hmm. go anywhere I want to compete and, and it's all available to me. So yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't stay there, unfortunately, but I go back and I, I yeah. coach and I judge horse shows there and it's a blast. So Amazing. love Maui. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I know we, we one day want to have a little vacation rental there and just hang out there. (laughs) Very, very emotionally cleansing. I think to be there. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, Lehua, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I'm excited to continue to watch your journey next time. I'm in Wellington. We need to hang out, Um, but I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.